shark. Why don't you hit me with your pet shark? I don't even know what that's from. Hit what? me with your pet shark. Jaws is my dad. <laughs> what is that from? It's just misheard lyrics. People think that instead of hit me with your best shop, they think they're saying she's saying hit me with your pet shark. It's literally the name of the song. I know, but I really love misheard lyrics. <laughs> Little little known fact about me. Love them. Uh, I mishear lyrics constantly in the most ridiculous of ways. Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, I enjoy that misheard lyric. That's that's up there with, excuse me while I kiss this guy. <laughs> that's very progressive of Jimmy Hendrix. Yeah, do you know what? And I, I, yeah, actually, I believe I covered this in the Jimmy Hendrix episodes. Yeah. But he did eventually just start saying that sometimes oh, really? just to like... Just to like be like, yeah, excuse me while I kiss this guy, because he's like, you guys are fucking stupid. I hate. And then all just of grabs you. the nearest dude and just starts lays one on him. You know what? Hot. Yeah, I'd be there for that show. Yeah, be like, all right, all right, all right. Didn't know I was getting that kind of show at a Jimi <laughs> Hendrix concert, but here we are. I'm here for this smooching, right? If all concerts just ended in like the whole band just making out, I came for the music, and then I came with the making out ah, <laughs> ah she did it basement flooded <laughs> <laughs> well i didn't think this would turn me on so much but here i am all right welcome to rock candy <laughs> yeah your weekly podcast bringing you stories of musicians who are still for some completely unknown reason not in the rock and roll hall of fame yeah, we're talking about Pat Benatar, and she was nominated this year. And last year, and I think the year before that, and I think for a lot of years in a row. And yet still, now the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, but like, yeah, I get why people are upset that Notorious B.I.G. and Whitney Houston are being inducted, but yeah. Many would argue not actually rock. Yeah. But then that's I, more of like, you know. It's being nitpicky. It's being nitpicky, and that's also like more of a discretion on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame just changing their fucking name. Right. Just be the music hall of fame then. Right. But then they might have to include the classical music, and that's not cool. And then they would just end up being the Grammys. So they're kind of already irrelevant. Kind of pretty, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so, I mean, does it really fucking matter? No. I don't think None it fucking of this matters. matters. <laughs> yeah. But Metallica <laughs> had it right. Nothing else matters. Yeah. I mean, not, I mean, they almost had it right because nothing matters at yeah, all. Yeah, seri- just period. Nothing, <laughs> nothing matters. Nothing matters at all. <laughs> I guess that didn't really go very <laughs> well really with flow. the melt. It didn't flow with that song very well. I mean, but for all James knows, those are the lyrics. <laughs> he Shots doesn't fired. fucking remember. He doesn't remember them. Nah. We're your hosts. I'm Maggie. I'm Ashley. We did it. Yeah. Yeah. So we are talking about the one and only Ms. Pat Benatar. Yeah. Gotta About love her. time, I guess. Yeah, we've this has been a long time coming. Long, long train running. <laughs> sure. Without Pat, where would you be now? Without, Without Pat. Pat. I mean, where would we be That's now? True. She is a feminist icon. God damn it. <laughs> she is indeed. Yeah, I'm here for it. To bring us on this wild. Adventure mm-hmm. with the one and only Ms. Benatar. Uh, we're drinking some brews like we do every week. All and the time. All the time. I mean, like right now, 
Then drink a lot of beer. <laughs> I actually had to like take a break last week because well, I stopped and said, I'm drinking a lot of beer. This is the lead up to the election. We're recording this today, the day before the the evening before the election. Yes. So, yeah, kind of see a little bit of an uptick. Just to put <laughs> and- a timestamp on this. So. You know, years from now, when someone finds this in the wreckage, they'll yeah. be like, oh. And it's like, what is this bullshit? What were people like in back in 2020? We were all fucking messes. We were just fucked, period. Yeah. But they'll listen to it and be like, oh, this is a monumental episode. Because it really we, was. We're recording the night before the election day. Yeah. And For it's all coming we know, out. we'll never have another episode again because we're just going to blow ourselves up. we're just going to you know, conjure up the apocalypse and it's going to rain down upon all of us tomorrow. And then maybe this episode will come out on Wednesday. Maybe it won't. If it does, aren't you lucky? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, if you get to listen to this, well, we've made it this far. Look at us now. (laughs) But yes, I am uh, drinking a flavorful beer. It is costumes and karaoke from Dogfish Head. I got it this weekend for Halloween reasons and still drinking it today it's it is an interesting beer and i don't know how to explain it halloween was weird we just talked about this in the sense that like all of us got something different to drink and all of us were like i don't hate it i don't really like it though yeah like what is wrong with this there's just something one little thing off about everything we had to drink on halloween yeah and then it was just like the weekend that precluded the election and it just all made sense. There's just something in the air that's just wrong and it's ruining everything. Yeah, we were waiting for this moment. <laughs> yeah. For the past four years. Oh, Lord. <laughs> we have, though. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's bad. It's interesting. It has a lot of weird flavors in it. It is like, what's it got? It's a golden tea inspired oat cream ale. Uh, Golden tea? Yeah, inspired oat cream ale. And they it's brewed with an oat cream base using a blend of equitably sourced single origin oh, oh. spices from Burlap and Barrel in New York City. Okay. And the spice blend includes a complex mangling of vanilla beans, ginger, turmeric. Oh, it's the anus that tastes weird. <laughs> Star anus, cardamom, and cinnamon. Yeah, could be the cardamom too. Can I smell it? Yeah, you're gonna smell the anus. I don't. I smell the cardamom. Oh well, I don't smell the cardamom. I just smell the anus. Yeah, I don't taste anus at all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, sorry, I don't. I don't. (laughs) Italians are immune to the horrible flavor that is anus. They are. They really are. I kind of love the flavor of anus. Yeah, I bet. But you do. I really do. Wait, how do you really say it? Anise? Anise. Oh, star okay. anise. Star anise. What's the difference between star anise and regular anise? <laughs> I think there's only star anise. I can't say it now. I think there's only star anise. Star anise. Yeah. Yeah, that checks. Unless they're talking about like the actual seeds. Oh, maybe. I don't know. The point is... the seeds are in the pod. Oh... And you're drinking some tasty citizen cider. Oh yeah, as usual, fruition. 
lavender cider from it's Citizen. Good. It's really good. It's good. It has absolutely nothing to do with Pat Benatar, but at this point, I don't really care. I could argue that ca- costumes and karaoke can relate to Pat Benatar because who doesn't love to karaoke a little Pat Benatar? And also, um, we will, as I will discuss later, a Halloween costume is very important to her overall image. That's true. So. That's true. That's the point. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm here for it. It makes sense. Right. We did it without even thinking about it. We made it there in the end. We fucking did it. Bam, 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 bam. We're going to make it after all. Yeah. We're totally Mary Tyler Mooring it. Yeah. I did it. We did it. Again. <laughs> Throwing my headphones in the air and freezing. Yeah, you're freezing. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> let's let's get on to this. Okay, let's talk some Pat Benatar. All right. She was born Patricia May Andrzejewski on Whoa. January 10th, 1953 in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, New York. At Greenpoint? Yeah. <laughs> At three years old, Pat's family moved to North Hamilton Avenue in Lindenhurst along the south shore of Long Island. Here, Pat and her brother Andy could have the suburban childhood her parents dreamed of. All things considered, they did have a great childhood. Her family was working class and struggled to make ends meet, but they were a tight unit. <laughs> tight unit. <laughs> tight unit. <laughs> <laughs> I did that when I wrote it, and I knew we would both do it when I said it. <laughs> Pat's father, Andrew, was a sheet metal worker, and Mom, Mildred, worked at an electronics factory. Oh. Though they struggled, especially after Pat's grandmother, aunt, and uncle moved into their house. Holy shit. Yeah. All of them under one roof. This is a sitcom. This is an 80s sitcom this waiting is, to this happen. This is Full House. But probably better. Whatever happened to predictability? I don't know. The Milkman, the Paperboy? Evening TV? <laughs> don't okay, we're not. No, we can't. We can't. Okay, okay. We can't. Yeah. Not to, not today. All right, maybe tomorrow. <laughs> her parents always made sure their kids knew that they were loved. Pat learned from her mother early on that being outspoken and a little sassy wasn't such a bad thing. Hmm. Millie wasn't really a typical housewife. She and her husband were on equal ground. And this helped Pat realize that she was just as good as any boy. She didn't have to take crap from anyone. I'm sorry, so... This this is a good childhood. Mm-hmm. No trauma. I mean, no, no trauma. Really, no, abu- no rad dad. No rad dad. No, no rad mom. mom. No, like the worst that happened was when she was fourteen. Her parents sat her and her brother down, and they were like, "We're getting a divorce." Oh. Uh... But then her dad moved out, and they got a divorce. And then three weeks later, he moved back in, and they got remarried. <laughs> That, so really, that's just more confusing yeah. than anything. Oh, I sh- shit! Before I um go too far, I should mention that most of my information came from Pat Benatar's memoir Ooh. that she wrote herself, called "Between a Heart and a Rock Place," Aww. a memoir. Oh, I get it. Get it? I do. <laughs> she did it. <laughs> <laughs> and like. The other worst thing that happened was her aunt, which was Mildred's sister, who was mm-hmm. living with them. Um, she got married to this guy who was a raging alcoholic, Ew. and they moved into the basement after they got married. And at one point, he was in like an alcoholic rage and chased Pat's aunt around with a knife. Oh, God. And Mildred just like got up and whacked him with a 
cast iron skillet and was like, get the fuck out of my house. <laughs> this is, and, again, an 80s sitcom. Yeah, yeah. And Pat was just, she like saw this happen and she was just like, this is fucking weird. Like, what the fuck? But like, she wasn't scarred by it. Like, no, no, no abuse, no other alcoholism, no drug abuse, nothing. Wow. The worst thing was that her parents struggled financially but like whose parents didn't exactly yeah it would be unfair to say that pat was a tomboy when she was younger while she liked playing sports and getting dirty with the boys she also loved makeup and fashion Mm. and she especially loved singing millie was a trained opera singer that had a lot going for her when she was younger but sacrificed all of that to have a family Mm. and pat loved to sing and perform for her family but millie didn't want to push it on her wow Right? Crazy. I was waiting for it to be like, Millie pushed all of her dreams onto her daughter. No, she and didn't. And Pat had to carry the heavy burden of her mother's dream. Yeah. But it just so happened that Pat took an interest in opera, and Millie was on her ass at that point. In sixth grade, Pat's music teacher, Georgia Rule, which is such a great name, Georgia Rule. Georgia Rule. <laughs> noticed Pat's incredible voice and set her up with professional singing lessons. She was hugely important in Pat's life, helping raise money for lessons and giving her a sense of discipline. Every day after school, when other kids were riding bikes or playing football, Pat was in the attic practicing opera. (laughs) It was insufferably humid in that attic, so, so Pat would always sing with the windows open. And not everyone in town appreciated that, and neighborhood kids would throw rocks at her and scream at her to shut up. Hey, they can go straight eat a dick and choke on it. Yeah, because guess what? She's Pat fucking Benatar now. Who are you, Billy? Billy, Billy boy. Billy nobody. Billy nobody working on your car. You've been trying to like build for years. Probably voting for Trump. He is definitely voting for Trump. Piece of (laughs) shit. Fuck you, Billy. Eat a dick, Billy. (laughs) Billy nobody. Billy nobody. (laughs) Fuck Billy nobody. Uh. But also, I will say, attic temperatures, more ideal for the voice. You want it warm. You want it warm and and slippery. Yeah. Nice and humid. You want it nice and loosey-goosey. Yeah. Also, probably didn't have to, like, work out after that, because she was probably sweating buckets up there. Oh, yeah. She was basically singing in a sauna. Like, no air conditioning. No. None. None of that shit. Pat's first performance was when she was only eight years old, singing in a musical at Daniel Street Elementary School. Mm. She'd caught the musical bug and kept performing in them throughout high school. Oh, no. She caught the musical bug. Oh, no. Oh, God. She was I also- could be in Rocky Horror, guys. I could do the whole <laughs> thing. You want to hear Into the Woods? I can do it. Whole thing, front <laughs> to back. Is that good? Is that an audition? Do you guys like I got that? the part? <laughs> she was also in choir. Or, I guess, chorus, depending on what school you went to. I mean, I they're interchangeable for me. Yeah. It was chorus for me, but I didn't care. Yeah, it was chorus for me. I went to a public school. She went to a private school. Oh, I bet that, that's probably the difference. It's yeah. choir when you're private school. It's chorus when you're public <laughs> It's school. choir when there's religion involved. It's that... chorus when you're just stupid heathen children. Yeah. Okay, got it. I was a stupid heathen child. We're fine. Yeah. And she blew her music teachers away with her four octave range. Oh, shit. She was definitely that girl in high school. The one that got all the lead parts in the musicals. 
that one. I love you, Pat Benatar, but I'm rolling my eyes a little bit. <laughs> well, she didn't major in musical theater at in college or anything, All right, so we're so fine. So the eyes are coming back down now. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I will look at you more seriously. <laughs> While opera and musicals were her main focus in school, behind the scenes she was nurturing a deep love of rock and roll. So the eyes have come back yep. around. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I'm seeing straight again. <laughs> She was into the heavier things like Led Zeppelin and the Rolling Stones. Yeah. But that whole scene was a total sausage fest. Pat didn't have any female role models, so she took her cues from people like Robert Plant. Which, he's got an effeminate side. Oh, yeah, definitely. So that's still legit. Also, if you're, I guess if you're going to try and emulate any of the male front men of the 1960s and 70s mm-hmm. you could do worse than robert plant i mean at least it's not kiss <sighs> every i feel like every story of an, a singer from this time kiss like, they kiss loved was kiss. so metal it weren't they kiss. oh my god kiss gene simmons he had a tongue <laughs> <laughs> they were scary he had no. clown makeup i think mime clown i don't know star child <laughs> Yeah. Kitty cat. Kitty cat. Star <laughs> child. Tongue dude. <laughs> Tongue guy and kitty cat. An interchangeable drummer. <laughs> oh, but wait, wasn't the kitty cat the drummer? I don't know. I don't know Kiss. I don't know Kiss. I don't want to know Kiss. I'm real more I care about Kiss. Yeah. That didn't stop her from daydreaming about fronting a rock band. She was taking professional opera lessons by day, but singing Rolling Stone songs into a hairbrush in her room at night. I know that feel. She didn't know how to bridge the gap between the two yet. I mean, that's some work, man, especially back then. That wasn't a thing. That is that is a long bridge to have to try and close together. Yeah, because that really wasn't a thing back then. No. Like, you were very much stuck in your genre. Yep. And you could have a pretty awesome, like, rock voice, but you knew your voice was rock. Yeah. So. Her love of rock and pop music grew as she got older, and her love of opera started to fade. It was fading mainly because she was boy crazy, and that (laughs) took up all of her brain space. Yo, give me that dick. Seriously. She was just walking around school going, give me that dick. (laughs) But give me that dick. But give me that dick. Make out with me. (laughs) So she wasn't Lola from Big Mouth. <laughs> okay, that's right. That's right. I rescind the make out with me. But I also totally like, yeah, when like sometimes you just hit high school and you walk around and you look around and you're like, but give me that dick. Yeah. Like I was totally that nice. And you're I'm just like, you just walk in on the first day of like 10th grade and you're like, I want to fuck. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like I didn't drink, I didn't do drugs, but man, did I love me some boys. Yeah. Yeah, she was dating a guy named Dennis Benatar oh. that she'd met in the 10th grade and was hopelessly in love with. Oh. When he enlisted in the army in their senior year, she chose him instead of music. No, no. there's so many no's in this. No. Everybody's fucking up. You're all doing this wrong. <laughs> she'd been training as a coloratura and preparing to attend Juilliard after graduating. But she shocked everyone by ixnaying Juilliard. What? Instead, she attended Stony Brook University to study sex education. I mean, hold on. Her first love might be music, but a real close second is that dick. Am yeah, I right? Yeah. 
She didn't major in sex education. She majored in that dick. <laughs> I mean, but hold up. Respect. I mean, that's kind of like... Sometimes I wish I went to school to be like a sex education Majoring teacher. when she graduated in 1971 mm-hmm. and went to school to become a sex education major. Yeah. That's pretty fucking radical. Right. As a, a woman. For a lady in 1971. Lady. Yeah. That's. A, yeah. You know what? I, I don't even care that she didn't go to Juilliard. That's actually pretty fucking cool. She's like, I'm going to go learn how to teach sex ed. Yeah. But. It didn't last long. Boo. She dropped out of college after her first semester and married Dennis. I mean, I guess. I guess. He was sent to Vietnam. Where oh, he, no. Yeah. That's why they got married was because he was being drafted to go to Vietnam. I have so many no's. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of no's before there are some yeses. No, 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 no. <laughs> he was sent to Vietnam where he saw combat, but he came back after only three months. Wow. Pat never asked why he was there for such a short amount of time, and she assumed it was because of PTSD and depression, which he struggled with continuously after he came back. Oh. And he developed a drug and alcohol problem, which was hard for Pat to deal with since she never touched either. Right. And the, her like she saw a little bit of alcoholism, but that shit was nipped in the bud pretty quick in her Quite childhood. quickly. That, yeah, her aunt's marriage to that guy didn't last very long. Yeah, I mean, she really had a lot of strong support in her family to not have to deal with that kind of stuff. Right. So to have to kind of deal with it now, you are at a loss and looking at it like, I don't, I don't know how to handle this. Yeah. What do I do? And I, I kind of feel kind of like a kindred spirit almost, just because like, we had a very similar childhood, except mm-hmm. my dad was an alcoholic. Oh. So kind of is. But um, I, my parents never like told me, don't do drugs, don't drink. Right. I just kind of took it upon myself to be like, yeah, I don't really need to do these things. Mm-hmm. And also my dad's kind of an alcoholic, so I'm just not gonna. Yeah. I'm totally straight edge. <laughs> I wasn't straight edge. I mean, I had my a couple moments here and there in high school with beer, but like not anything that would make me say, oh, I drank and did drugs. Like, yeah. I was already really fucking weird. Yeah. <laughs> I really didn't need to add <laughs> booze to that mix. Uh, then you would have had no friends. <laughs> I would have had different friends. You would have had very different friends. I like the weird island of misfit toys I developed in high school. <laughs> yeah. They stayed together for the next eight years. Oh, shit. Breaking up and getting back together every six months or so. He was eventually stationed at Fort Lee, Virginia, and Pat followed him there and took a job as a bank teller. Oh, my God. Okay. But within a year, Pat was restless. She had given up singing altogether and for two years didn't sing a note. Her routine of work, groceries, dishes, laundry over and over was stifling. Her marriage was stifling, and she in turn stifled her love of music. Mm. Everything changed when she saw Liza Minnelli in concert in 1973. I mean, but didn't for all didn't it for all of us? Liza Minnelli has changed so many lives. Honestly, truth. Yeah, it was an. She also wanted that dick. Yeah, Liza. Liza. Yeah, love that dick. Liza is. Give me that dick. (laughs) (laughs) It was an epiphany moment where she realized she could do that. Mm -hmm. So the next day, she quit her job at the bank and announced she was pursuing a music career. Yes. 
Her first musical gig was in a quartet called Coxon's Army. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Coxon's Army. Yeah, I bet it was. Coxon Armies. Coxon Armies. <laughs> Coxon Armies. Coxon Armies. Coxon Army. Yeah. <laughs> Give me that dick. <laughs> Is that going to be the title of this episode? I Just mean, give me that dick. Maybe. <laughs> Sometimes I worry about Apple because they're very like, <laughs> that sounds dirty. <laughs> they're like Apple. fucking Pat from SNL. Ooh, that's dirty. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Oh my God. Anyway, Coxon's Army. <laughs> They quickly became popular in the Richmond bar scene, even releasing a single and appearing on a PBS special, but the single went nowhere and the PBS special was never aired. Yeah, because they realized it's called Cox and Army. (laughs) They're like, we just filmed a special in Richmond, Virginia about a band called Cox and Army. What are we doing with our lives? We can't air this. Can't air this? Did you... Why was it called Cox and Army? I don't know. They're in Virginia. It probably has something to do with the Civil War. Ooh. Ooh. Yoink. Get off the stage. Yeah. While she loves singing in Coxon's Army, (laughs) (laughs) its cabaret sound wasn't what she was looking for. Pat wanted a harder sound, but she knew she wasn't going to find it in Richmond. So in the fall of 1975, after only three years in Richmond, Pat and Dennis moved to New York City once he was discharged from the Army. I mean, I'm just impressed he was still even there considering all of his fucking problems. Yeah. Things didn't get much better for Dennis, I I don't think. I can't imagine they would. She immediately set about finding a way to make a name for herself. She performed at a comedy club called Catch a Rising Star, which was kind of a combination between Star Search and the Apollo Theater, (laughs) but much smaller. (laughs) There's so many layers to this. I know. It was kind of like a con- a constant open mic, but people could keep coming back to perform. Oh, okay. So, like, you didn't get kicked off like Star Search. Right. But- or you got kicked off at the Apollo. You got raided on Star Search. You didn't get kicked off on Star Search. But you didn't get kicked off. Like, in the Apollo, you got kicked off the stage. Yeah. Like, pe- the audience could boo the shit out of you, and then you got kicked off. Right. And Pat went there in 1975 to make her mark. She was number 27 in line, so she didn't go on until 2.45 a.m. Woof. But she blew the audience away when she nailed a Judy Garland song. Yo, that pretty half-cocked audience and, like, kind of tired, they were like, I'm awake now. 2.45 is, like, the golden hour for a Judy Garland song at a club in New York City. You know what? That's how you're going to shake everything up. Yeah. Come on in there. Over some some rainbows? There you go. (laughs) Yeah. Do whatever you got. Do what you got, man. Rick Newman, the bar's owner, was so impressed with Pat's voice that he signed on to be her manager. And he realized she wasn't exactly the same girl on stage singing a Judy Garland song. She wanted to break into the male-dominated world of hard rock, but her voice didn't match the attitude. Hmm. Imagine Judy Garland singing Led Zeppelin. She could do it. She could do it, but it would kind of sound weird. Don't discount Ms. Garland. <laughs> but Newman was into it, and he believed in her. I mean, I'm sorry, but I'm just going to keep thinking from Seinfeld. Newman. 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 Yeah. I, while I was reading her her autobiography, she kept referring to him as Newman. And every time I just picture 
that guy. Jerry Seinfeld? No, the actor that plays Newman in my head. I mean, she, yeah. That's who I imagine Newman was as her manager. Yeah. He was, Newman was her manager. Yeah. He stopped being a postal worker. Uh, But wasn't he really into being a postal worker? I mean, probably. I I don't know. I mean, I didn't get big into Seinfeld. I greatly dislike it. I I don't dislike, you know, it doesn't matter. We don't need to talk about Seinfeld right now. You know what we don't ever need to talk about? (laughs) Seinfeld. Yeah. Okay. Good. Let's keep going. Thank you, Promise. (laughs) That's the rock candy promise here. She started playing clubs as part of a trio, but still had a hard time meshing her grand voice with more rock-oriented songs. She also had a hard time with stage persona. She was a tiny little thing, and she didn't move around a lot. Her voice was so captivating that people were drawn to her anyway, even if she came off as naive and meek. Hmm. Later that year, Pat would find that stage persona. She went to a Halloween party in Greenwich Village dressed as a character in Catwomen of the Moon, a 1953 3D sci-fi movie. That's adorable. Later that night, she played at Catch a Rising Star, still wearing the black cat suit and ray gun from earlier. Oh. By the way, (laughs) I tried looking up a picture of Pat Benatar in this getup Mm -hmm. and also like what the Catwomen of the Moon look like and I found a website called Unitard Universe. <laughs> yeah. And it's just a collection of pictures of celebrities in Unitards. <laughs> and it's amazing. Oh my god. It's actually so well put together and it's just like this is just people in Unitards like every single Unitard Freddie Mercury had ever worn. Ugh. And David Bowie. Oh. And everyone. Oh, my God. So many unitards. Yeah. So I want, little time. I want it. There's not enough time for all these unitards. I'll have to show it to you. Um, We're running out of unit time looking at all these unitards. <laughs> <laughs> Something about that cat suit brought life into Pat's performance. Doesn't it always? It always does. She was acting feisty and sexy, presenting a noticeably more aggressive persona. She finally found that alter ego that she could turn on when she got on stage. All right. Sometimes all it takes is a costume. Yeah. Yo, that onstage persona, I can't even imagine trying to, like, create one. Yeah. I don't know what I would do. I'm not I'd have to get drunk, probably. Oh, yeah. I would definitely have to have a couple of shots or something before. I don't know. Whenever I've performed, I won't drink beforehand because I'm afraid it's going to fuck with me. Yeah. So I usually go on sober. It, I honestly, I would go with the costume route. If you wear something that's completely different and completely not you, you can go on there and say, like, this isn't me. I'm playing a character and then create yeah. a character in your mind. So good for her. Cat suits. Use them. They work. She scored a four-night stint at a club called Tramps that got her plenty of record label buzz. Terry Ellis, no relation to me. Head of <laughs> head of Chrysalis Records caught the show and was impressed. He wasn't exactly sure how to market Pat with her grandiose vocals backed by a rock and roll sound, but took a chance and signed her to his lab- record label that same week. Now they needed a band. Yeah. They weren't looking for mere musicians to back her up. This was going to be her songwriting team. Oh. They re- yeah, they wanted a band right that she was just like the lead singer of oh so they but, didn't want like pat benatar they wanted 
Pat Benatar in a band. Right. But they they kept it as just her name for some reason. Mm-hmm. Probably because she's pretty they and marketable. They didn't go with Coxon's army? They sure didn't. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> they would have had to change it to Coxon's military. <laughs> <laughs> They're a little more advanced now. Yeah. In May 1979, an upstart guitarist from Cleveland named Neil Giraldo got a call to audition for lead guitarist in Pat's band. He didn't even bring his own guitar to the audition. He just asked another guy that was auditioning if he could use his. (laughs) He took it real seriously. And Pat was immediately smitten with Neil. She didn't even care if he was a good guitar player. She just wanted him in the band. Because remember... She want that dick. She does. Yeah. Like, I have so much respect for her game here. <laughs> Good for you, Pat. Seriously. Luckily, he nailed the audition and they hired him. Oh, lucky for Pat, too. This little meat cute would prove to be an extremely fortuitous event. Did you just call it a meat cute? It's a meat cute. Oh, my God. I hate that word, but I had to use it. I, it, it works yeah. really well. Neil and Pat's songwriting chemistry was perfect, and writing songs together came easily. <laughs> I bet that that's not the only thing that came easily. <laughs> I was waiting for you to make some kind of joke. <laughs> Doing it. Yeah. Doing it well. Neil's aggressive guitar playing helped Pat get her voice where she wanted it, that dynamic sweet spot between opera and rock. See, because I was going to say... You're saying how she, like, her classically trained voice didn't work with rock. But I'm like, but it does. What do you mean it doesn't? This she doesn't just make needed sense. the right people around her to write songs that complemented her voice. I see what you're saying. But this is what I call the meatloaf zone. Oh. That perfect bridge between rock and roll and opera. Oh, which yeah. is where meatloaf has just built his nice little house. Yeah. And settled in. Put some mold cider on the stove and mm. lit up a fire and just putting his slippers on and he's just hanging there in that nice little meatloaf zone. Yeah. I think Devin Townsend probably has a house next door yeah. or like adjacent. I would also to say it. that. So then Pat Benatar got some real estate up in mm-hmm. there as well. Yes. Yes. She just bought the house next to meatloaf in the meatloaf zone. I like it. For the next year, Pat and Neil wrote songs for her album. As their business relationship grew stronger, their personal relationship grew deeper. And his dick grew bigger. What? (laughs) Uh, Pat. (laughs) (laughs) Just the absolute giving up in your voice. Uh, (laughs) This is what we're doing. This is us. Pat, for her part, was crazy in love with this guy, but she was still married to Dennis. Fuck Dennis. (laughs) And at the time... Neil was dating Linda Blair. Wait, from uh, Exorcist. Exorcist? Yes. I know, well, right? Shit. I Random. thought she died. No, she's totally still alive. Okay, because like everybody in that movie died. I think you're thinking of Poltergeist. Oh, I am thinking of Poltergeist. Yes. But isn't also the Exorcist curse? There's weird shit that happened because of the Exorcist. Didn't one of the guys that played... Did the guy that played the priest die? He died. I think he committed, did. He commit died. suicide. I don't remember. Or did he commit suicide in the movie? I don't know. I'm conflating the two, but yeah. The point is, she's still alive. She's still alive, and she's dating Neil. Yes, at this time. 
But Pat's infatuation with Neil finally made her realize her marriage was over and she finally got a divorce from Dennis. I'm sorry. That's what finally made you realize that that Dennis wasn't going to work. Another dick made made her realize that, yeah, it's not not working anymore. She never did believe in miracles. Yeah. She's beginning to wonder why. (laughs) He makes love and fun. Oh. She and Christine McVie have something in common. They do, except, like, she did better than the lighting guy. Yeah, she did fuck the lighting guy, as far as I know. I mean, she she might have. Like, hold on. She could have fucked a lighting guy right? like get the d where you gotta get the d girl i ain't yeah. gonna judge you but like don't write a song about it some lighting guy at like sam miller's club in richmond was like you're in coxon's army <laughs> i love coxon's <laughs> army <laughs> Whoa. okay before this goes any further this let me continue just be called dick jokes <laughs> dick jokes tm pat's debut album in <laughs> It's her debut album's name is In the Heat of the Night, but I wrote In the Head of the Night. <laughs> Dicks! <laughs> oh, this whole episode is a big dick joke. It's just a big dick. In the Heat of the Night was released in August 1979. In the vein of Joan Jett, it had a lo- lot of covers on it. Mm. And Heartbreaker was the second and biggest single off the album. And that was actually a cover, too. Wait, yeah? Yeah. Originally recorded by British singer Jenny Darren in 1978. Interesting. Did not know that. Yeah, me either. The song blew up and put Pat Benatar on America's radar. Finally. The third single, We Live for Love, was written entirely by Neil. It didn't make as big of a splash as Heartbreaker, but it showed off Pat's impressive vocal range Mm. and played to her strengths perfectly. It showed that Neil knew exactly how to write a song for Pat. He wasn't just a guitarist. He was Pat's muse and musical partner, Mm. and they could play off each other and create musical magic. As soon as Heartbreaker hit the airwaves, their audiences exploded. Oh, yeah, that's a great fucking song. Yeah. Suddenly, huge crowds packed their shows, and clubs were overbooking by hundreds of people. The album reached number 12 on Billboard's album chart and went platinum. Oh, shit. Meanwhile, Pat and Neil were mercilessly flirting with each other, even though Neil was still in a relationship. Oh, maybe you should break up with Linda, though. Mm. But fate intervened, and Neil found out that Linda was cheating on him. <gasps> Linda. With the poltergeist? <laughs> with the poltergeist. Wait a minute. No. Exorcist. No, with the poltergeist. Wait, we're like create- the prayer we're- was the exorcist, right? Yeah, but we're conflating the two, oh, so okay. like it makes sense. She moved the bodies, but or she moved the headstones, <laughs> but she never moved the bodies. That's how he found out. Oh my god! And he just shakes her over and over again for twenty minutes. It only took a few weeks after their breakup for Pat and Neil to officially become a couple, and she finally got that D. Finally, I hope it was good. I bet it was great. I mean, they're still together, so yeah. It's so gotta it's got to still be good, right? It was a banner year for Pat and her band. Banner year. Banner year. But Chrysalis wasn't so thrilled about Pat and Neil's budding relationship. Um, as if they have a fucking say in it. Yup. Nope. They tried interfering, insisting that they were making a huge mistake and they're going to break up the band. Pat and Neil basically told them to fuck off and mind their own business. Good. But from here on out, Chrysalis basically refused to acknowledge Neil's musical contributions, even though they were... 
big. What? To Chrysalis, it was all about Pat and Neil didn't matter anymore. That, wh- what's even the point of doing that? I don't know. Chrysalis does a lot of shit in this story that I'm like, but why? And they just get because sexist assholes and record labels. Mm. So, yeah. It definitely wasn't the last time Pat would have to deal with asshole industry people. Mm. Sexism always has a way of sneaking into everything. No way. I thought we were, I thought we broke through the glass ceiling. Yeah, we never talk about sexism. That never happens. That's not a thing. She was constantly getting asked sexist questions and asked to do things she should not be asked to do. Like radio DJs getting her in their offices and being like, all right, so what are you going to do for me to make sure that new single becomes a hit? Or male fans screaming, fuck me at shows. You know what? That I kind of don't mind as much because it's finally like, it's like a man being the submissive role in that sense. Yeah, I can see that. Instead of like being like, yo, I'm going to fuck you. It's like, please fuck me. Yeah, no. Oh, please. I, I wanna, love you I so much. I want you to fuck me. <laughs> I want you to fuck me, Pat Benatar. You do it. You do it. <laughs> so you know what? That doesn't bother me as much. Yeah. Like, whereas the fucking DJ shit. Yeah. Of course, that yeah. doesn't fucking surprise also, me. Also, like one random DJ in fucking Kansas City, Missouri. Like, you're not going to make my record a hit sir yeah so maybe tuck your little pencil dick your little garlic knot dick <laughs> stuff it back in your tiny little whitey tighties and let me the fuck out of this office right how about yeah. that put it back in the basket i'm not impressed <laughs> garlic knots are like the last thing i want from a pizza place yep <laughs> so thanks but no thanks yeah well i'm just gonna skeet that on out of here it was frustrating but it didn't stop her Her next album, Crimes of Passion, was released in August 1980 and was a huge hit. It's still the biggest album of her career, having gone four times platinum. Holy shit. It stayed at number two on Billboard's album chart for five weeks, blocked from number one by John Lennon and Yoko Ono's Double Fantasy. I bet. Yep. The album that no one actually ever really liked. Yeah. Right? But everyone was like, it's John Lennon, so we have to get it. (sighs) (laughs) You Better Run, another cover song, originally done by the Young Rascals, Mm -hmm. was the album's lead single. It did relatively well, but its real claim to fame is that it was the second music video ever shown on MTV when the channel debuted on August 1st, 1981. Oh, shit. It was picked specifically to run right after the Buggles' Video Killed the Radio Star as a message to radio that a new era of music entertainment was here. So, You Better Run. Oh, Because video killed the radio star. Yeah, well, internet killed the video star. It killed all of it, honestly. Yeah. Internet's like, uh, y'all got nothing. And everybody <laughs> else is like, yeah, you're right, we got nothing. Internet for the win, I guess. Yeah, internet wins everything. Internet wins the internet. <laughs> internet breaks the internet? Yes. Yeah. The video is iconic Pat Benatar. From then on, women around the world copied her leather pants and pixie haircut. Mm-hmm. She was already known for her vixeny on stage persona, but now she could translate that into four minute music videos. Yeah. This was a new way to show an even bigger audience who Pat Penatar was, and she became a mainstay at MTV. Oh, yeah. Like, sh- I didn't even have MTV, mm-hmm. and I wasn't even really alive back then. <laughs> but I still feel like. 80s Pat Benatar was just so synonymous with 
80s MTV. Just 80s period. Just the way she looked. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure that when I had my faux hawk, I definitely tried to rip off her look sometimes. Like, yeah. I would kind of curl up my faux hawk a bit and, like, I had, like, these bullshit pleather leggings and, mm-hmm. yeah, I would wear, like, some outfits that were kind of Pat Benatar-esque. And some, like, slouchy boots earrings. with heels. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I tried to go Pat Benatar. When any of us now try to dress 80s, we are essentially dressing like Pat Benatar. Yeah. Because that she was quintessentially 80s and in every way. Timeless, it's a timeless look. You can oh, dress yeah. like that throughout any decade, I feel like, and it's not dated, yeah. whereas like the crimped hair. And the makeup could the be. Makeup. Like tone down the makeup. Oh, yeah. And then you can also, modernize it. I'm 36. I can't wear that shit no more. No. No. I feel really awkward with blue eyeshadow now, which makes me really I sad. I don't. I don't feel awkward with blue eyeshadow. Oh, I but. Do. I, I don't wear it very often anyway. I'm lucky if I put on eyeshadow, so. I have gotten to a point where I have my makeup look yep. and I haven't deviated from it very much. So that's probably what I'm going to do anytime I wear makeup from now through eternity. That's fair enough. And it looks fine. Good. You do a good job. Thanks. Looks nice. Thanks. Hit Me With Your Best Shot was the second single. I'm and- sorry. I'm sorry, Hit Me With Your Pet Shark. Thank you. Was the second single and one of Pat's biggest hits ever. Yeah. It was written by Eddie Schwartz, who was inspired to write the song after going to a pillow-punching therapy session. Oh. Oh. (laughs) It was kind of funny. That's the cutest thing I've ever heard in my life. Despite the vague domestic violence imagery of Hit Me With Your Best Shot that some people thought was there... This was not the song that created controversy. It's kind of like when everyone realized that Hit Me Baby One More Time by Britney Spears could have been about domestic violence. No, I never went there. And kind of tried to be like, "Mm." it's about what? I thought it was about boning. Yeah. Right? That's what I thought. Okay. It was just a really weird way of saying it because some Swedish dude wrote it. Yeah. Like I... Anyway, we're, yeah, we're not talking about Britney Spears. No, I just mean in general. Anyway. Like, stop, stop reading so much into things, guys. Yeah, but yeah, that was not the song that created controversy. Controversy. <laughs> You've done that at least twelve times throughout this podcast. Ugh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, this was not the song that created controversy. That distinction was given to the song "Hell Is for Children." Oh yeah, a song about the horrors of child abuse. Yeah, and Pat had read a series of New York Times articles about child abuse epidemic in America and decided to use her rock star status as a way to shed some light on the issue. Okay. Totally worthy. Yeah. Instead, conservative groups thought she was simply saying that all children are going to hell. This was in the midst of the satanic panic of the early 80s, so anything that mentioned abuse and children in the same general area immediately received cries of satanic cults. Oh, my God. I'm just reacting to things. It's like the fucking people now who are losing their shit over child trafficking. Yeah. It's like it's all just trigger words. Nobody actually researches. Nobody actually understands the facts or the numbers behind yeah. anything. Instead, everyone just wants to be this reactionary motherfucking like, oh, my God. Save the, chi- hashtag save the children. Save the children. Will anyone think of the children? But it's, it's like, motherfucker, you didn't think of children your whole fucking life until you decided <laughs> to make this your goddamn yeah. cause because you were bored on Facebook. And in, and every time somebody is like, um, actually, that's kind of part of a 
stupid conspiracy theory, immediately they're like, but don't you care about the children? Are you a child rapist? You awful person. You're supporting the rapists and the pedophiles. Like, no. And all they hear is, hell is for children. So they exactly. Think, oh, Pat Benatar wants children to go down. It's like, no, no, if you fucking listen to the song, it's about child abuse, which you're probably doing because... You want to know what my favorite fucking part of these people are? On Facebook, when people like post like, oh man, why is my teenager so unruly? They're the first to comment with, well, if only we were allowed to still hit them. Yeah. So like, shut your fucking mouth. Yeah. Sit the fuck down because I know you want to slap your kid. Yeah. And you're pissed off because you can't. Because that's not the right way to discipline your fucking child. Yeah. But that's exactly what she's thinking about. She's thinking about you pieces of shit. But also, like, the people that would hit their kids are the same people that didn't parent. Yeah. They use that as an excuse to not have to actually be a parent. Yeah. So sit the fuck down. Take several seats. Go we- sit in the back. You know what? Leave the building. Bring your fold-out <laughs> chair to the dry parking lot and sit in the parking lot. And socially distance sit in the parking lot. For the rest of your life. <laughs> Thank you. So yeah, instead of listening to the lyrics and realizing she was condemning child abuse, they boycotted her shows and destroyed her albums. Meanwhile, Chrysalis proved themselves to be dicks once again. What? No way. <laughs> Even though Keith Olsen was brought in to produce the album, he barely stayed in the studio long enough to do his job. What? Neil stepped up and produced a majority of the record, but Chrysalis refused to give him a producer credit. I mean, checks. Yeah. They gave him producer pay, didn't give him the credit. On top of that, Chrysalis fucked up a promotional ad. They took out a full-page magazine ad, but instead of just using a photo from the album cover shoot, they took one of those photos and airbrushed the straps of Pat's tank top out so it looked like she wasn't wearing a shirt, which is very reminiscent of what Mushroom Records did to Heart, where they took out a full-page ad and like made it seem like they were lesbians having sex together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, good job. Chrysalis. Great. Glad to see in like 15 years nothing's changed. Yeah. Terry Ellis said he got the approval from Pat's manager, but Pat's manager knew nothing about it. Newman? Newman? <laughs> they just ran the ad without even asking Pat for approval. Of course. And she was pissed. Yup. She was fed up with the constant sexual harassment she was getting from men in the industry and felt that her sexed up image was the reason for it. It wasn't. And even if it was, it's not your, like, that's not. It's not not your fault. It's not your responsibility. Right. It's their responsibility to not be fucking sexist assholes and they can't do it. And it sucks that she had to feel like, oh, well, I have to clearly change my image. Yeah. Like, no, no, you don't. It's not them. It's me. No. No, that's not how it works. But I mean, it's like the mid 80s. We we were not there yet. Exactly. Ugh. She released her next album, 1981's Precious Time, which garnered another hit single with Fire and Ice. And after that, she went to the execs at Chrysalis and told them she needed a change. She wanted a different image and intended to create one. But Terry Ellis and company told her she was crazy. (laughs) Terry, who again is a total jackass, basically said, everybody loves that tight ass, so don't lose your advantage. I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what he said. 
go fuck yourself, Terry. Yeah. But she was like, hey, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) The first step in changing her image was to get married. Pat and Neil got engaged on Valentine's Day in 1982, and only six days later, they married in Hawaii. Good for them. This completely changed their vision of where they wanted to go musically. The hard-edged rock chick was out the window, and they embraced a more pop sound. Okay. So they came out with Get Nervous, released in October 1982. Wow, we are still in the time era of, like, album. Every nine months. Album, album, album. album. Okay. Album tour, album tour, album tour. Albums take two weeks to make. Get it the fuck out of there. All right. For any casual Pat Benatar fan, there probably wasn't much of a difference in her sound, but it marked a noted move from rock-oriented to pop-oriented songwriting for the team. Right. The focus was more on emotion and Pat's voice than attitude. Case in point was the biggest single off Get Nervous, Shadows of the Night, a markedly softer song with lots of synth. So good, though. It is. Her vocals on that are fucking amazing. Also... Not an original. What? It was done by another woman, a German woman. I think her name is Emma Schneider. And it was off of her album called Schneider with a Kick. (laughs) (laughs) And and I watched the music video of her version of it. And it's very different. Like the song itself. Like it has the same melody. It has the same cadence. It has all of that. But the lyrics are very different. And they're... Much scarier, oh. I would say. I'll play it for you later. But like, yeah, go to YouTube, look up uh, Shadows of the Night original version by some lady Schneider. Schneider um, with a kick. Schneider with a kick. <laughs> um, <laughs> also a gorgeous woman. Like, I was mesmerized by what she looked like. Um, and the video made no fucking sense at all. It was ridiculous but 80s yeah. german it, yeah yeah it's 80s german what you expect an 80s german song sung in english to be like basically All right. here yeah. for it so go look that up you won't be disappointed <laughs> once again pat and terry ellis clashed over this album pat wanted the cover to show her looking wild and in a straight jacket not necessarily pretty because she was tired oh, yeah. of that she's tired of that and like get nervous like, yeah in exactly a straight jacket yeah totally exactly. get it But Terry thought the original concept made her look, quote, really ugly and ghastly. He refused to approve the shots, and the two of them got into a screaming match. I mean, good for her. According to Pat, Terry said to her, I hope you realize people aren't actually coming to hear you sing. Pat punched him. And after that, the relationship was completely fractured. She hit him with her pet shark. She did. And if her fist is a pet shark, then that's, yeah, yeah, accurate. Good for her. Fuck that guy. Yeah. Fuck Chrysalis. Pat and her band embarked on a sold-out tour from 1982 through 1983, recording a live album and an HBO special during that time. Live from Earth was well-received and scored Pat the biggest hit of her career. Mm -hmm. Love is a Battlefield was mm. written by Holly Knight and Mike Chapman specifically for Pat. Oh. It was originally a slow ballad, but once Neil got a hold of the song and discovered what that button could do, he made it into a dancey up-tempo tempo number. Well, not I probably one of the only one of her music videos I do know because that fucking like shimmy dance. Tit shimmy. Tit shimmy. Yeah. The music video became one of the most iconic in history. Right? 
Once again, Pat tackled the issue of abuse. In the video, Pat is a runaway teen that takes a job as a taxi dancer. Yeah. Do they dance on taxis? No. A taxi dancer is somebody that is a dancer at a club. And basically what happens is the guys come into the club and they pay to dance with these ladies that are hanging around. So like they call it a taxi dancer because you're you as a lady are kind of a taxi going around picking up these men to dance with them. Huh. Get it? Yeah. Also surprisingly clever. Also kind of sexist. Oh no, it's stupid sexist. You're calling me a taxi so that multiple men in a night can just take a ride with me? I said surprisingly clever because it's super fucking sexist. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, I'm just surprised at the amount of cleverness that such sexist assholes could come up yeah. with. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. When the club owner gets too rough with a fellow dancer, Pat and her coworkers tit shimmy his ass down. Good. This music video is what everyone gets their image of Pat Benatar from. Mm-hmm. And the hits kept coming. October 1984 saw the release of Tropico, Pat's fifth studio album. The first single, Painted Desert, came with its own surprise for the musical couple. During the filming of the video, they found out that Pat was pregnant with their first crotch fruit. <laughs> Yay! Congratulations on your Yay. crotch fruit. I'm hoping for pineapples. <laughs> Ooh, ouch. I mean, I just mean like because pineapple's a good fruit. It is. Fine blueberry? Yeah. Also, drag- I like dragon fruit. Oh, okay. That's good. That's also pointy, right? A little bit. Not as much as pineapple. <laughs> Nothing's as pointy as pineapple. She had a truly miserable time filming in the desert outside LA, suffering from morning sickness and dealing with the oppressive desert heat. Mm. But considering the couple had trouble getting pregnant after trying for two years, it was worth it for them in the end. Oh, wow. I didn't even realize they were trying, but that's awesome then. Yeah, they had a hard time conceiving both of their children. But they did eventually. As soon as they gave up hope, that's when she got pregnant. That's pretty much how that works, I think. You're supposed to give up all hope. Yeah. And then it happens. She was still pregnant during the filming of her next single, We Belong, which was another huge hit, matching the popularity of Love is a Battlefield. Mm, that's, That's a fucking jam, too. That's a fun one to sing along to. That is. In order to really drive home the idea that Pat was moving away from rock and roll and embracing a softer sound, the music video utilized enough soft focus and billowing chiffon fabric that even Bonnie <laughs> Tyler would be jealous. She's like, what? <laughs> is there more chiffon in this than in How dare you? Of the heart? <laughs> Where is my army of bright-eyed, weird school children? Why has no one thrown a dove in my face? <laughs> Pat again suffered through this video shoot, going back and forth between puking in the toilet to nibbling saltines she kept in her blazer pocket between takes. I mean, good for her, though. She would soon suffer no more, as Haley Giraldo was born February 16th, 1985, and congratulations, she turned out to be an insufferable human being. What? She is awful. I'm sorry. She was on this show that i don't know why i watched it but i did (laughs) it was like a train wreck i couldn't tear my eyes away from it it was called filthy rich cattle drive Uh, okay i'm already not here for this it was like an e-reality tv show (sighs) and they got 
the sons and daughters of like the richest families in the world, basically, or in the United States. Okay. Put them on a cattle ranch and made them like herd this like group, this herd of cattle through a ranch and they had to like ride horses and like rough it and sleep in tents and stuff. What? Oh my God. I cannot tell you. This was definitely like what? Somewhere in like somewhere between like, like the 2000s to 2010s. I want to say it was like 2009, but it could have yeah. been like 2006. But it, it was just, when this, of that era. It was when the simple life was a thing. Yeah. Yep, and it had Courtney Kardashian in it before the Kardashians were the Kardashians. Ugh. So it was just like, let me give you a for instance with this okay. show. So there was this kid, his name was Fabian, and he was the heir to like this huge fortune that his grandfather created because he was a shipping magnate or something. Mm-hmm. This kid was like arguing with the cattle rancher that owned the ranch. Yeah. And he was like... I just want to have somebody here with me that can handle my answering my phone and they can get me my coffee and they can do all of these things for me. And the cattle rancher guy is like, you're asking to have an assistant here. (laughs) And Fabian is just like, I'd be happy to pay for it. And it's just like, that's that's not that's not the problem. So here the. mm, Money's not the problem all of, here. All of the people on this show are like that. All of them were like that. And it like really hurts my heart to think that Pat Benatar raised a child like this. to be like this. That sucks. That makes me very, very sad. Yeah. Oof. I really hope that maybe she was just putting on a character. Oh, maybe. I really hope that that's the thing. Maybe. And granted, this was over 10 years ago, so maybe she's a different person. Right. But everything I've seen of her says no. Real Shania Twain about it. Yep. Mm. So. Great. I'm just going to pack that away, put it on a shelf, and just be like, yeah. This doesn't exist. I I just don't want to believe that Pat Benatar created that. Yeah. That's fair. Anyway. Oof. So she had her baby. Yup. Immediately, Pat had pressure from Chrysalis to get back into the studio. Oh, eat my dick, Chrysalis. And Chrysalis must take the prize for the most sexist record label ever because they actually pressured Pat to go back into the studio as soon as she gave birth. Like she popped out the baby and the next day they were like, so you going back in the studio tomorrow? Hmm? And the nominees for most <laughs> sexist label. Yep. The winner is Chrysalis. Then <laughs> But then, then they told her to downplay the fact that she has a baby because fans, i.e. men, want to know she's still a rocker chick, i.e. fuckable. Just gonna set everything on fire. Yeah, yeah, basically. They put the fear in her, and within three months of giving birth, she was back in the studio. <sighs> Seven the Hard Way was released in late 1985 and spawned yet another hint hit, Invincible. Yes, yeah, is my favorite. 
The song wasn't supposed to be included on the album and was only recorded for the soundtrack to The Legend of Billie Jean. Yes. It was put on the album anyway, joining a mishmash of songs that didn't much go together. (laughs) And Pat wasn't happy with the outcome of the album, blaming fried nerves and label pressure for the lack of creativity. Yeah. Yeah. And that's totally legit. Yeah. When you're pressured that much to go back into the studio and pump out another hit record. Meanwhile, the entire time your label's just telling you, oh, if you don't come back, like no one's going to want to fuck you and then no one's going to buy your music. The only reason people buy your music is because you Tell anyone you have a baby, nobody wants to fuck you. Like, fuck, but fuck you. I hope that they all get hit by buses. (laughs) All of them. Still, Seven the Hard Way was a huge hit, eventually becoming her seventh consecutive platinum album. awesome. She released another album in July 1988 called Wide Awake in Dreamland that produced a moderate hit with All Fired Up, but Hmm. the album failed to go platinum in the U.S. Pat blamed that on audience fatigue, thinking that releasing an album every nine months made her fans get sick of them. Weird. Yeah. Weird. Weird. For the it's f- like every artist by the time you got to the mid to late 80s was like, oh, wait, like, we shouldn't maybe, be doing this anymore. <laughs> maybe we should take breaks. Should we take breaks? I'm going to take a break. For the first time since the late 70s, they didn't sell out a tour. The attendance was so bad that they cut their losses and canceled the tour midway through. Oh, that sucks. Chrysalis was also in flux. Terry Ellis had stepped away from the label, and his former business partner, Chris Wright, was terrible at managing the talent. Wide Awake in Dreamland wasn't a success, and Pat and Neil saw their career slowing down. They had been a nonstop hit-making machine for nearly 10 years. Mm. It was time for a break, but also to shake things up. They saw this as an opportunity to start experimenting and doing the weird stuff they couldn't have done at the height of their fame. Okay. Yeah, this is when you do it. Yeah. Fortuitously, the couple found out that their contract with Chrysalis was no longer legally binding. Ooh. They negotiated a new contract with EMI, which had just purchased Chrysalis, but elected to only make one album, and it had to be on their terms. Awesome. And EMI was like, you do you. (laughs) But Pat wasn't sure she wanted to even continue making music, period. Between the troubles with Chrysalis... The failure of Wide Awake in Dreamland and a break with her longtime manager, Rick Newman. Newman. Everything seemed to be pointing to stop while you're ahead. All right. That's fair. But Neil knew she would hate not making music. He convinced her to continue because now they had the freedom to do whatever they wanted. Yeah. So they decided to make a blues album. Which seems to be what older female artists do after they've hit it big and have a little creative freedom. I mean, here's the thing. It's kind of a fun genre to experiment in. Yeah, if you're interested in it. Right? And as you get older, your voice gets a little lower. Mm -hmm. So you're getting like all sauced up for that kind of range. Right. So it makes sense. All right. It totally checks. You want to do something different. Yeah. I mean, it makes more sense than like them going out and making like a happy hardcore album or something like that i mean but i wouldn't be against they could have <laughs> actually no at this point i don't think that was a thing yeah it took a lot of convincing on neil's part to get the album made but pat eventually relented it was mostly just him pat and their longtime drummer myron grombacher writing and they had a blast 
True Love was released in 1991. It didn't get much airplay or support from the record label at all, but it still cracked the top 40 in the U.S. That ain't bad. And they rode the high of making True Love through recording their next album, 1993's Gravity's Rainbow. Chrysalis barely promoted the album at all, which could have been because Pat became pregnant with her second child and they didn't want to put too much into that. Oh no, she's pregante once again. Danger Ops, pregante, part once, deux. Once again, foiled by pregnancy. <laughs> Pat and Neil knew it was time to pack their bags and leave Chrysalis slash EMI. Good. Cutting ties with the label for good. Flipping them off on the way out. Yeah. Since then, Pat and Neil have taken their career slowly, only releasing two albums since Gravity's Rainbow. In a Mortada was released in 1997 and Go in 2003. Oh. They were released on an independent label, something that was important to Pat after she realized file sharing was going to be a huge thing. Yeah. She took the exact opposite side of Lars Ulrich. She thought file sharing was great. Um, you're like stealing our music and, um... We uh we don't like it. Did you know? Well, Lars can take his bullshit sandwich and go sit in a lawn chair in the parking lot with that other guy. <laughs> yep. You go sit in the parking lot. You go lot. sit in the parking lot. You eat your bullshit sandwich, <laughs> motherfucker. Yeah, this was going to put everybody on an even playing field where lesser known musicians would be on the same level as huge pop stars. Yeah. Or so she thought. I mean, it's not really that way but it's close enough i mean i do think that at this point now with streaming especially you do get to know about artists that i don't think we'd ever fucking know about yeah if we had to solely rely on cd sales and billboard and radio yeah guess what file sharing is a socialist idea hmm it's pretty fucking socialist hey trump supporters how many times did you use napster yeah bro Huh. Weird. (laughs) She's released singles here and there, half of which are holiday songs. And since then, Pat and her family have basically been living the lives of rock star legends. Mm. Which might be why her daughter ended up on a reality show where she acted like a spoiled brat. Yeah, her daughter also tried to put together like a girl group. Okay. Didn't really last long. Mm Okay. Yeah. She is n- counts. <laughs> she is now considered one of the greatest female rock musicians of all time, and it, she it, certainly it, deserves the praise. Yep. She started out as a young woman with an amazing talent that she didn't quite know what to do with. By sticking to her guns, and despite rampant sexism and shitty people trying to dictate her career, she bridged the gap between rock and pop and dominated a genre all her own. Mm-hmm. And we can't underestimate Neil Giraldo's contributions. Oh, hell no. He was integral to Pat's success without even attempting to overshadow her. Mm -mm. He wrote music that played to her strengths while never getting the accolades he deserved for co-writing some of her best songs. Together, they forged a musical powerhouse that is nothing short of an inspiration for all women in this world. Oh, so good for them. Fuck yeah. Yo, that's like relationship goals right there. If you Seriously. can have like a healthy relationship with somebody and you make good music with them. Yeah. That's a pinnacle, motherfuckers. They've been married for 38 years. Oh. And they've been together for at least 40, so. 
That's awesome. Yeah, good for them. That makes me happy. Yeah, she had a lot of strong, influential women in early in her life that made her believe, hey, if I just keep doing my thing, like, I deserve this. Like, yeah. having a strong female uh, influence in your early childhood apparently goes a long way. Yeah. And yeah, having a great support system. I like that even though her idols when she was younger were men, mm. she kind of turned that into her own thing. Like, no, I can fucking do that too. Right. Just and because they're dudes doesn't make them better than me. I can still do that. Exactly. That's, I think it's fine to have male idols, especially, or I guess I should say, it's fine to have an idol who's the different sex or whatever. I think that's kind of a strong suit because that way you're yeah. saying- I can take what you're doing and I can make it my own. Right. I mean, there have been plenty of men who have female idols and take what they do and make it their own. Mm -hmm. So that's great. I think we need more of that. Yeah. Because, yeah, it shouldn't just... I mean, thankfully now, rock isn't seen as a strictly masculine thing. Generally. Fucking finally. (laughs) I know. (laughs) For the most part. I mean, you know, I'd like to think from like Gen X down. We're like, yeah, no, women are pretty great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So there's that. That's, I don't know. I do wonder too. It's like if she didn't have to deal with so much sexism, would she have kept going harder with making the music that she wanted to make? I think she would have just because she and Neil had such a great working relationship. Of course. That like it would be impossible for the two of them to be together and not be making music. Right. And he was such a good songwriter um, musically and she was such a good lyric writer yeah. and she knew how to rearrange lyrics even for the covers that they did yeah. she knew how to rearrange and rewrite lyrics so that it made sense and it fit her right so yeah i mean it's not that it's not even to poo poo any of the work that they've done recently mm-hmm. but i mean i wonder if she wouldn't have pumped the brakes so hard if she just i'm sure it's exhausting to have to fucking continually deal with these record execs being like, well, um... But you need to stay fuckable. Can you be more fuckable, though? <laughs> Show me a little tit. Yeah. Just a little tit. Yeah. That's it. And also, why the fuck is she not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Yeah. It does. It actually physically but doesn't compute. if she gets inducted, fucking Neil Giraldo needs to be, too. Oh, yeah. But... They need to be a partnership. Yeah. the like, And so should Myron. Myron Grombacher. <laughs> I should show you some videos of him because he is entertaining as fuck. Right. But he was also a really great songwriter. Like, later on in their career, he wrote some of the songs on their albums and they were really great. Okay. But he was also one of those entertaining drummers that, like, was so animated that he w- <laughs> that half the time he played drums standing up. Oh my god! Yeah, what? he was nuts. He was great. Her whole band was great, and that's awesome. Yeah, it was. I really love that they loved playing her music. They mm-hmm. loved writing with her, but knew that she was the star. They weren't going to overpower her. They weren't going to try and take the spotlight away from her. It was a perfect unit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pep Benatar, absolute unit. The perfect unit. <laughs> I think that's that's the best place to end this yeah. on. Perfect unit. Agreed. 
Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Yay. Hey, this was a good story. It was. And it was no uplifting, no no rape, no heroin. No heroin, no child abuse, really. So no. we're starting fresh. Guys, we're doing good. I think this is like week three, no heroin incident. Wait, who did we do last week? When we did playlist we had our playlist. and Elvira. Okay, yeah. Yeah, we're going strong. Normal. Three weeks. We're going three weeks. No pretty heroin. Happy, positive, good shit. All right. We can do this. Guys, we can do this. Just try to keep a happy face for as long as yeah. you can. Don't think that election happened or nope. anything. Nope. Hey, hey. Nope. Well, nope. 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 Pet Benatar. Great. <laughs> support her. She's yes. wonderful. Please. Yes. And you can support us. Hmm. You can listen to more of our episodes and get us them sweet follows and hits. Maybe leave us a review on Apple Podcasts that we made fun of earlier. Because <laughs> by listen- really, it actually kind of does matter in it a does. stupid way. Ratings help because then it gets us, I don't know, more people listening. I don't know how anything I works. don't know how that works. I think Apple's gaslighting us, but... But also listens help. It it gets us up there. Yeah. Which is nice. I like that. But Especially yes. during these spicy times. It's Yeah, we've got fun nice. stuff to listen to. And, <laughs> and you know what? Keeps your mind off of other bullshit now, yeah, doesn't it? Sure yeah. does. So visit our website, rockcandypodcast.com. Also you can follow us on the social meds. We have Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, we post funny pictures and things sometimes and we'll commute if you contact us. So you know. Go check those things out. You it's can. all part of the beautiful and wonderful Pantheon Podcast Network. So also support the network and support us mm. and all that good stuff. You can also support us through Patreon by giving us your monies. Yes, your hard-earned cash. In exchange, we will give you swag and we will give you a bonus episode every month. And a shout out because we have a new out. shout out. We got a new patron. Yay. Woo, Russell. <laughs> Air horns. Yeah. Thank you, Russ. Yay. Thank you. We super appreciate you. I will hopefully get your stuff out to you as soon as possible. Right. And but hey, I don't have a memory. So, <laughs> memory. <laughs> I don't know. I forgot what we were talking about. What? <laughs> but yes, thank you, Russ. I hope you enjoy some of that sweet bonus content. Those, yeah. That that sweet prime, <laughs> real drunken times. Super drunk, because we always drunk. record it after we record an episode. Actually, the latest was not. That was, yeah. that was us being fairly sober and just mostly angry. Hey, we're, we're angry, angry when we're sober, too. <laughs> Turns out, woof. Mm. Yeah, and also if you want to get merch from us, yeah. you can do that because we have merch now. Yeah. You can just go to teespring.com slash rock candy podcast. I thought it was slash stores slash rock candy podcast. I don't know. Just go you to teespring and search for rock candy podcast. I also have it listed on our website. <laughs> yeah, go to our website. You yes, can find it. So you can find everything that we have links to, please. Yeah. We're a mess. Yeah, just go there. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> But yeah, get yourself a nice hoodie because it's fucking cold. Yeah, that's true. Or get yourself a mask because it's fucking cold in COVID. Yeah, masks keep my nose warm. Yeah, I'm which is great. I'm kind of kind of thankful for this. Right big now. fan of masks now. Super big fan. The tips of my no- tip of my nose always gets quite cold. Doesn't so anymore, does it? Doesn't anymore. Mm. Got that we nice got the, cozy mask. We got that nice sweet cozy mask for you guys. So mm. come on over to our store, buy some shit. I don't care. Do what you want to do, or just keep listening to our episodes. We're just happy to have you. <laughs> just happy to be here. Yeah. Hopefully, we're entertaining. Yeah. 
Hopefully. Anyway, hopefully we can keep you guys entertained. We will do so again next week with some. some this it's got a we got a beefy one coming up. Beefy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna talk about how much we want the dick though. Dick jokes. Or maybe I will. We're always maybe talking about I dick. Will. So yeah. Hope you guys like it. But anyway, until then, party on Ashley. Party on Maggie. And party on you crazy kids out there. But tell me more about Coxon's army. Why is it it's just Coxon's military now? They changed Can, it. Coxon's fleet. Coxon's. It's a fleet of cocks. <laughs> Very popular at Fleet Week. Yeah. <laughs>